What's up, everybody? Happy post-Super Bowl. I'm on a little Dayquil kick right now. Still feel like myself, but, you know, um, I spent three days with Sarah Walsh and Matt Bushman's twins in Nashville. So, of course, right before I left, one of them got me sick. But I'm not sick-sick. Like, I'm not, hey, I wish I were married sick. I wish I wish I lived closer to my family. I'm grinding through this. Content, whatever I'm feeling right now, it's not going to get in the way of content or legs a little bit later. So we have a good plan for you. A bunch of live reads. Can't wait to read the ads. They're going to be crazy good today. And I want to do a little bit of a recap, but more looking forward to the NFL offseason. And maybe, just maybe, a little solo time, because I know how much nephew Kyle enjoys the nightlife. Uh, talk a little bit about Atlanta and being there for a couple of days. Because I was there for three nights. Bounced on Saturday. All right, so We'll do all that, but first, before we get to Kevin Clark from The Ringer and off-season stuff and rapid-fire questions, we're going to start with Burt Breer from the Monday Morning Quarterback. I've known him since his days back in Boston, so we'll start there. Okay, before all of that, though, I want to tell you about the folks at Mizzen in Maine. You or someone you know may be suffering from textile dysfunction, leading to poor performance in your dress shirts. See what they did there? Thankfully, Mizzen in Maine has developed a cure. Their dress shirts are moisture-wicking, wrinkle-resistant, and require no ironing or dry cleaning. Head to MizzenInMaine.com to discover the longest-lasting best look for men and use promo code DUAL, D-U-A-L, for $10 off any dress shirt. Mizzen in Maine. Look great longer. What's up, man? Uh, it's good to talk with you. I know we had kind of talked about this in August, but uh, I'm thrilled to have you on. So let's just start with this. How many years did you cover the Pats when you were with the uh, Boston newspaper? I, I think I was, it was 05, 06, and I covered 07 for like eight, nine months. I left for Dallas in September of the end of the year. Um, and then I came back and I worked for the club as a national writer there. So like in the old position that Will McDonough held for all those years. Right. I was there in 09 and 10 before I went to NFL Network. Okay. So a so bunch of, right. So a bunch of years then. And, it, and I just want to make yeah. sure I wasn't going to get the resume. Right. What do other teams, and I'm just a guy watching. So let me set this up before I ask the question. I'm just a guy watching. I'm constantly in amazement of what's happened here. I think any of us that have watched this league for as many years as we have and you covering it. Do you have other football front offices, coaches, ask you about your time there and things that you picked up that maybe are different or lead to their success? I'm just, I'd, I'd imagine over the years of you covering this league that it's not just you always interviewing the football topic or football person. Yeah. It's them kind of picking your brain on what you saw with Belichick and Foxborough. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I can actually give you something from the other night. Um, I was at the with somebody from a team on Monday night. You know, we were talking about them and um, the answer you usually get back when you talk to other teams about about the Patriots is like you can't replicate what they've done because they've got Brady and Belichick and that makes them different from everyone else. So you know, I get asked a bunch about what I've seen, what I've, what I've seen inside that organization, and you know, you always talk about how um, versatile they are and how they they change from one thing to the next so quickly. And um, you know, so I'm I'm out to dinner with someone uh, the other night. We're talking about the actual game itself and. It was interesting because we talked about how they adjusted and um, how the defense going into that game had played man for most of the year, and then all of a sudden they switched now they're in zone team on Sunday night. And how the offense, you know, they come out on that in the fourth quarter, the adjustment they made was they went 22 personnel, which is two tight ends and two back, and they threw out of it, you know, and they were splitting out their fullback and tight ends and, and basically playing spread football with a bunch of big people to force the Rams' big people onto the field. And the whole thing was, well, no one, not everybody can do that. That's a really hard thing to do. And so we kind of talk about it some more. And it's like, well, that's why the Patriots are less talented than a lot of other teams, because they're looking for the types of players who can do those sorts of things. And as the conversation evolves, you know, this guy says to me, it's like, that's why Belichick's assistants can't win anywhere else. And I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? He says, well, the reason they can't win anywhere else is because if you're not Bill, then you can't play chess that way. Bill's playing chess. You know, and so Bill gets all these pieces that are that, that, that are flexible and they can do different things. And if you're Bill, that's great. That means you're screwing with the other team and you're able to just kind of use what they do against them and all this different stuff. But if you're not Bill, then you're just playing with a bunch of less talented guys. You know, and so I thought that that was really interesting and that 
what they do is so institutional to who they are and so institutional because they have Belichick and Brady and that allows them to do all these things that no one else can do. Um, sort of, to me, that that's like the Super Bowl in that way. And it, it illustrated what everybody's meant for all these spent all these years when they say there, there's an advantage to having Brady and Belichick give the Patriots that goes beyond just, you know, one's a great coach and one's a great quarterback. Brian Flores, and this is always kind of a weird thing with New England, whether or not they gave you the title of OC or defensive coordinator over the years. I mean, they've done this before with other guys, and he technically wasn't the D.C. He heads down to Miami. I've seen a bunch of his coaching tree guys. Like, Charlie Weiss is always kind of this Charlie Weiss. He was almost like this Bill Parcells guy more than he was Belichick, right? Um, right. Romeo, I think, was always very consistently Romeo Cornell. Josh McDaniels, I, you know, I wasn't there in Denver. I, it was it was great in the beginning. He was great. He was young. He was versatile. He understood young players, and then he was young and terrible and stupid, and you know didn't understand it once they started losing games. And I'm obviously pointing the exaggeration on both sides. But Mangini is somebody that I'm really glad I got to know because I like him as much as any NFL coach I've ever met. Uh, I got to know him when he was at ESPN. He yep. was incredibly impressive, but he and he's admitted this has made the, mis- made the mistake of like almost doing this Belichick impersonation when he was with the Jets. And it wasn't really who he was, and then it didn't work. And I think the same thing's happening with Matt Patricia in Detroit, where I don't know what he's trying to do, but it's rubbing everybody the wrong way there. If they win games, then maybe no one will care. But with Flores, what should Miami fans, and what is what is different maybe about him than some of these other guys that were on the Belichick tree? Well, he's definitely his own man, you know? And, and, and in that way, I think like he has the advantage that Bill O'Brien has. And he hasn't without having been anywhere else. Flow has only worked in New England. And that's generally, you know, that that's why it happened to Josh. That's why it happened to Eric, because they hadn't worked anywhere else, right? Yeah. Um, and so I do think he's going to be his own man. It gives him, um, you know, sort of what I think Bill O'Brien had, because Bill O'Brien really did come up under George O'Leary, not Belichick, right? He just got to Belichick in the middle of his career. Uh, here's the other thing I think that you want to look at if you're a Miami fan. Look at the types of players he brings in, okay? O'Brien adjusted, and I think that that's what's really important here. If you look at his team, if you look at his roster, no one would ever say that they that the Texans did not try to bring in the most talented guys. Clowney's on that team. Watts on that team. Hopkins is on that team. They've got a lot of dudes on that team, right? The one place where O'Brien got caught, and this is his blind spot, was at quarterback and believing – I can just go put a smart guy back there and win. He thought he could do it with Hoyer. He thought he could do it with Fitzpatrick. You know what? He eventually realized he was wrong. He adjusted his offense, and he goes in and he brings in Deshaun Watson. And so I noticed you didn't Bo, mention Ryan Mallett there. Right, right. Well, I, Ryan Mallett, but Ryan Mallett may not have been a genius, but he at least had I don't think he was. System, but, yes. I think, it's, huh? I think it's fair to say enough? we can agree he was not a genius. Right, right. But he did but he did have knowledge of the system and I think that that's the trap that he's like O'Brien fell into that trap specifically at quarterback. You know, I and he point, yeah. and McDaniels fell into it across the board. Like they were bringing in those sorts the guys that Belichick would acquire thinking I can be Belichick. And unless you're this next level, like I just unbelievable uh, like unbelievable coach. It's really, really hard to pull that off. And there's a humility that, you know, I think these guys have to have to realize that I can't do what Bill did because Bill is just, Bill's transcendent, you know? And so I think the important thing to watch the floor is going to be what types of players is he acquiring? And if he's just acquiring, you know, smart guys who are, who are just average, you know, that can be a red flag because it's, I mean, I'm not saying he can't be Bill, but there's only been one of them, you know? And so, I think that's the thing you got to look out for, but I do think he will be his own man, which is um, which is half the battle here. Which is, you know, I think where Eric tripped up a little bit, where Josh tripped up a little bit, and that's actually where I think Bill O'Brien succeeded because he was his own guy. You have been, and maybe this needs to be updated. So correct me if I'm off here a little bit, but I think when all the Kyler Murray hysteria started up, you seem to be somebody that had more information on people being not pessimistic, but maybe more down on what his prospects were as an NFL quarterback. Where are you at with that yeah. now? And yeah, like. Tell us a little bit more about the insight that you're getting from front offices that maybe don't like him as much as yeah. the media does. Yeah, so I still haven't like talked to, I don't think I've talked to anybody who has a first-round grade on it. Um, wow. Now, the important caveat there is lots of guys who don't have first-round grades at that position go in the first round. It's just the way it is, the value of the position, guys get overdrafted there. 
things can happen. You know, I don't think many people would have thought at this time last year that Baker Mayfield was going to be the number one overall pick. He wasn't first-round consideration. A lot of people saw him as a first-round pick, but I don't know too many people that thought he would be the first overall pick. So he definitely rise through the process. You know, there are a couple things here with him, and, and I think the, the, the big thing is you're really stretching the size thing um, with him. If you, if you look at Baker Mayfield, he was short, he wasn't small. If you look at Russell Wilson, he's short, he wasn't small. Um, Tyler Murray is short and small. And so that becomes an issue because if you're going to play him a certain way, and I mean, right now, if you look at the way they played him in Oklahoma, you got to move around a bunch. If you're going to play him a certain way that'll maximize what you get out of him, he's going to get hit a lot. If he gets hit a lot, you know, you need this sort of frame to hold up. And so I think that's a very real question with him. You know, obviously only started a year and, um, he doesn't have quite the, the, the arm talent that, He's got an explosive arm, but doesn't have quite the arm talent that, that Baker had. Baker, um, even though he was six feet tall, I, people I talked to thought he was the most accurate quarterback they'd ever seen coming out of college. So um, I, I think that there, are, I think that the consensus I got on him over the last, I'd say, two three months is that he's uh, a Friday prospect at best, which means rounds two to three. But again, I mean, at that position, you never know, and things can turn pretty quickly and uh, you know, one team likes them, another team likes them. And, you know, I think, you know, this as well as anyone else, Ryan, is if you're sitting there and you say, I think the guy's a long-term quarter, a long-term starting quarterback, we have a second round grade on him. You can very easily talk yourself into taking the first round. Yeah. Right. I mean, that makes sense. And, and every year, you know, I'll ask a McShay or those guys, I'll be like, how many first round grades do you actually have? And it rarely is 32. Um, sometimes right. if it's really deep, it'll be beyond that. But more often than not, I'll be like, oh, it's, you know, it's 22 players, it's 28 players, something like that. Okay. So that's, that's Kyler there. Um, I know there's, there's two Albert Breers that I know, the one I really like and the Ohio state guy that tweets. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what do you have on Haskins? Uh, I think Haskins is the leader in the clubhouse to be the first quarterback taken right now. It has nothing to do with where my degree is from. Uh, Are you so laughing right now? Game. Are you laughing a little bit right now? Because you sound like you're smiling. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, right. I, I think that, like, honestly, like with him, um, I think there's obviously, like, if you've watched him, um, you see the ability. It's pretty obvious. I mean, he can throw the, he can throw the ball as well as anyone, and he's accurate. And I think the really encouraging thing about him, he only started a year, but as the year went on, you saw a different quarterback, a guy who was learning to play in the pocket a little bit better, a guy who was learning to move around a little bit better. By all accounts, he's a really good kid. Um, he got himself hit a lot early in the year, and I think that that's going to be the question teams are going to ask with him is uh, he's a bigger player. He's not all that athletic. Uh, and he's going to learn. He's going to have to learn to move around in the pocket a little bit better and avoid avoid getting hit a little bit better. Uh, if he can do that, there's a lot to work with there. There's still the question, of course. He's only got a certain amount of starts, but um, you know, and I and I don't think he would have been you know the number one quarterback in last year's class. But he, he's, in an average group of quarterbacks right now, he's number one. Doesn't mean he's a lock to be the first quarterback off the board. But right now, I'd say he's pretty firmly in the driver's seat to be the first quarterback take. This may be um, the most stable I can remember seeing all 32 teams be a quarterback collectively. Yep. Miami, Jacksonville, the Giants, maybe Tampa. Maybe they have some backup Denver. plan. Yeah, Denver. I mean, at least, yeah, right. I mean, it feels like Keenum for at least another year, even though they've mentioned, I think it's just common sense that, that Denver would say, Hey, we know that the term, you know, Keenum's probably not going to be our guy here for the next 10 years. Uh, right. But that's, that's, that's adding to, that's adding to right now that we know who their week one starter is in 2019. So it's really like three. Do you have any gauge on those three teams? On, okay. So you said Jacksonville, Miami, and the Giants. Unless there's a fourth that you think should be included in that because of the uncertainty. Well, the reason I don't have Denver and Tampa so, in there is at least I know, again, like I said, who's starting week one. Yeah. I mean, I think there are a number of teams that have starting quarterbacks where, you know, you look at them and you say, okay. Uh, well, I mean, Washington, I would definitely put in that group too. Now, I don't, I don't think that there's any guarantee that Alex is ever going to 
never going to play again. So I put them in that group also. Um, but you think he's never going to play again? I think there's, a, I think there's, a, there's a chance. There's a chance he never plays again. And wow. and and it's, look, I mean, here's the thing, Ryan. With that one, I mean, he could wind up coming back next year, but there's no precedent for someone coming back from his injury. And so there, let's just put it this way: there's a, there's there's an acknowledgement there that like they are in a massive gray area as far as that's fine, yeah. you know, where they are at the quarterback position and that they got to be prepared for whatever, you know? And I know, I, I mean, it, he's, I mean, look, he's 34 years old to begin with. Yep. So there's, there's that that you're dealing with already. Uh, but I would say Washington's certainly in that group. Hey, we're going to bring in Kevin Clark here for rapid fire with Albert Breer. So uh, we'll do that in a sec. Going to get to rapid fire here with Breer and bring on Kevin Clark, including the biggest free H signing. I got a bunch of great questions. I'm very excited about it. I want to tell you about Hopsy. Hopsy is like the Nespresso or Keurig for beer. It brings beer on tap to the comfort of your own home with the sub. It's a countertop appliance that fits neatly in your kitchen bar or living room. Whether you're a hop head, malt mouth, or palate partier, you can enjoy a variety of beer styles like IPA, stouts, and pilsners from big and small breweries, which rotates monthly. It actually looks really cool on the counter. People come over. Obviously, I don't have a ton of guests, but you know what I'm saying? They're like, hey, what's that thing? Can I get it? No, you can get a Pilsner is what you can get. Nice and cold. So go to, here's the deal. Like I know how you guys are with the gadgets is a different kind of thing. If you're just bored, buy one. All right. I mean, buy it if you love beer, buy it if you want your own deal at home, because it is kind of cool. But if you're bored, try something different. You know, maybe you hit that parlay this weekend. Go to tryhopsy.com forward slash dual and use the promo code dual. And for $99, you'll get the sub home draft machine, two mini kegs of beer, equivalent to two six packs, two hopsy glasses and membership in the monthly beer club. That's tryhopsy, H-O-P-S-Y.com slash dual promo code dual to get a sub home draft machine, two mini kegs of beer, equivalent to two six packs, two hopsy glasses and membership in the monthly beer club all for $99. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, here we go. We got Kevin Clark from The Ringer. You guys, I hope you know each other. I didn't even ask ahead of time if you liked each other or not, so this could get really awkward, right? Oh, no, we've known each other for years. We get along quite well. I don't want to speak for, for Albert, but I think we get along quite well. I'm pretty good at faking it. That's good. That's good. <laughs> okay, here we go. I get eight questions, or maybe more. I don't know. It might be nine. Uh, rapid fire. Feel free to, you know, it doesn't have to be one word answers here. A little bit of explanation. Okay, so with all the quarterbacks, you saw the Foles news, um, them picking up the option, him opting out. That could be one example. Give me, and we'll start with Kevin here, give me the best quarterback that switches teams the best season coming up in 2019. I'm going off the board. I think there's going to be some movement. We're not thinking about what is Cincinnati do. Do they buy on Andy Dalton immediately? That kind of thing. Do they draft a guy? I'm looking at Ryan Tannehill because I know that he seems to be the most likely guy who's in a position right now to be a starter who can move teams this offseason. I think the Dolphins might move away from him. And if that happens, I think he has, I think he has more tools than we think if he can stay healthy. Um, and I just think that if he gets the right coach, I mean, obviously it's not going to happen, but you know, if Sean McVay ever got Ryan Tannehill, I think we're looking at a pretty good Ryan Tannehill. And I think if there's maybe four or five coaches who would unlock that, they'll be looking for quarterbacks in the offseason. Bert? Okay, I'm going to go with Chetty Bridgewater going to the Washington mm. Wow. I think so much of this is based, Brian, on situation and everything around the quarterback. Jay Gruden's gotten a lot, got a lot out of Kirk Cousins. Now, of course, they had something to do with that. And Jay Gruden got a pretty good year out of Alex Smith before he went down last year. I think the Redskins are going to backstop themselves at the position. So I'm going to give you Chetty Bridgewater going to the Redskins. My runner-up would be if Nick Foles winds up in Jacksonville based on what's around him there, based on the fact that Filippo's there now and knows him and knows how to use him, knows how to get the most out of him, that might be another one to watch too. Okay. Give me the biggest free agent signing for this year. I'm going to give you the Jets signing Le'Veon Bell and Dante yeah. Fowl. How about that? I'll give you Ooh. two. I think the Jets, the Jets have been loading up to try and get one of the pass, or have, have, have cleared all this pass case. They've been, they're one of these teams that's sitting out there waiting to sign a pass rusher. And I'm not sure if you've looked at the list, Ryan. There are a lot of big names on there. D Ford, DeMarcus Lawrence, DeVivian Clowney, Frank Clark. 
I think a lot of those guys are going to wind up getting tagged. And so one guy who I, I'm pretty sure will make it to the market is Fowler. I think both him and Bell at a lower price than you would expect wind up with the Jets. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that the Jets have Le'Veon Bell written all over them. Um, I think that there's there's a couple of, of, of things they look at. I, I was going to agree with Albert and say that guys like Marcus Lawrence are going to end up tagged. I think that we might see some of the, you know, a couple of defensive linemen hit the open market and and not resign. I think that I think we've all forgotten about Indomitian too. I think it's, it's entirely possible that that, that he uh, changes teams and he could find a new home and be quite good. I think. Okay, I like this. You guys are really good on the timing. Of this Russell Wilson, one year left on his deal. Recently reported that there were no discussions. We don't. That doesn't necessarily mean anything. Give me Kevin a guess on what his guaranteed money is, and what are we looking to surpass here? A hundred million with Andrew Luck guaranteed. Yeah, and and Matt Ryan as well. Right. Um, and Matt Ryan reset the market, and Matt Ryan is not Aaron Rodgers. And I think that's the Rodgers deal is a bit of an outlier because you know he could have done the weird NBA thing where he holds out and tries to get a percentage of you know he changed the contract structure for all NFL players going forward. He didn't do that, and they overpaid in order to get him under contract now. So I think he's looking above $100 million, which is what Matt Ryan got last summer. I think that general, I think he'll get it. I also think that he, he does sort of, I mean, he told me a couple of years ago he wanted to make so much money in the NFL he could buy a team afterwards. I think that the franchise stuff um, is going to drive the price up. You're, you're basically looking at above $30 million a year. Um, so I think it starts to $100, I think he gets it quite easily. I'm not positive that he gets over $100 million because I think there's a good chance he wants to do a shorter deal and that's why he's here in the first place. It was, I mean, one thing, one mistake that the public makes a lot of the time, guys, they, they look at deals, and they, they look at the extra years, they look at the gross number, right? And so, like, Pat Mahomes, for example, people are talking about him getting a $200 million deal. I'm not sure he hits that number because it'd be smarter for him to do a shorter deal. Um, that's the way it works in the NFL. And Russell Wilson is, again, in this position at this young age to get a third contract because he only did a four-year deal in 2016. And so, you know, my guess is, um, my guess is that, that he desires a shorter deal. And so I think a good percentage of the deal is going to be guaranteed. A very high percentage of the deal is going to be guaranteed, but it might come in at under a hundred million if he decides, Hey, I just want a three year deal so I can be up again when the new CBA is put. Don't you think it's possible, Bertha, that he gets three years and a hundred? I mean, just going off of just off fully of guaranteed. Yeah, that's possible. That's possible. But that's why I'm saying, like, I like, think that's certainly possible. But that's why I'm saying, like, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a sure thing that he's going to get over a hundred million guaranteed just because. I mean, he he he's got a baseball agent. They acted creatively the last time. I think it's paid off doing a shorter deal then, and I think that. He, Probably they look for a shorter deal, which means that the the, 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 the the actual guarantee number might be a little lower than you'd expect. No, that's a really good point, though, on the three years. Like, just do a three-year, get over Aaron Rodgers' average annual salary of $33.5 million, and then maybe it gets him right at 100 But, you know, the way people are talking mm-hmm. about this that I've read, like, oh, he's going to try to reset the market at 120 140 I may have misspoke, by the way, on the Andrew Luck $100 million guaranteed. I have it now at $87 million. So unless there was some second right. uh, 12-month payment in there that got him to 100 you guys would know better than I would. Did I need to be corrected on that, or is, is it just actually 87 Yeah, was, I think it was about $87 million. Okay. I, yeah. I think it was between eighty-seven, eighty-eight million. The other thing, too, Ryan, I mean, I don't think we should underrate. We're still so close to the end of the CBA now. Yeah, no, totally. I do think some of the some of the higher end players are going to be cognizant of the fact that the rules could be very different in, in two or three years, and so I think you're going to see, I think you're going to see some the, the smart agents, the smart players. I think you're going to see some reluctance to do you know four, five, six year extensions yeah. right now. Because they know the landscape could be completely different. Okay, but that, if that happened in the NBA, it, it happened in the NBA, and it was always the Durant thing. Like Durant, and this is imagine this: when Durant signed his first extension, which was the only extension he was going to sign because it was off of the rookie deal, he was praised as the anti-LeBron, and it was also strategically done because they didn't know what the new CBA was going to look like. So. You, right. The way you're talking right now, it almost sounds as if you're saying, well, these guys will want to do shorter deals because the new deal will be better for players. Do we know that? I mean, the cap's going to go up with the new TV we deal, don't. but we don't know if the, I mean, it could be even worse on the split. Like, I always kind of laugh when it says like. Yeah, but, but here's the thing, but, but the thing, Ryan, here's the thing. The thing about football contracts is once you get into like year four, year five, those are just team options. 
right? Like once you get like most football, most football contracts don't have guarantees past three, three years. And so when you get into year four, year five, it's a bad deal for the team. Usually the, the, the team can just cut you. Yeah, so, look, this is like, my first football all podcast. All you're doing by adding those <laughs> extra years on, on any NFL deal is giving the team control over you. And that's why I think that it just, just makes sense. I mean, it's why Kirk Cousins' deal was three years. is because Kirk Cousins wanted to have control in year four and year five. And there's been almost no deal in NFL history that gives any player any sort of control past three years. Right, and all $84 million of his three-year deal guaranteed. Speaking of Kirk Cousins, fill right. in the blank. The Kirk Cousins era in Minnesota will be remembered as... I will say a moderate success. I think that in these the three-year period, there'll be a time he gets to the NFC championship game. I think that their window was this year. When you think about, um, you know, they, they had the pieces, you know, I, Anthony Barr is one of the most intriguing offseason just decisions um, that's out there. Cause I don't even know what you do with them at this point. Uh, I just think that they, they, they I, I don't know what the future holds for Mike Zimmer. I mean, I just feel like 20, we're going to look back at 2018 and say, man, they really should have made a, a much better run than they actually did. They, they obviously screwed up on that John DiPolito hire. I think at some point, maybe two years from now, they have a little mini run, but I don't see him as a Super Bowl quarterback at all. I agree with Kevin. I, I think moderate success is the right way to put it. I, I think that this situation you walked into wasn't the best fit in the world. Of course, you had the DiPolito thing. Uh, beyond just that, though, uh, a big piece of this, their offensive line was a mess. And I, and I think one thing, and I, I certainly underrated it because I, I picked them to win the Super Bowl in August. Um, I, I think that the, the one thing that maybe we, we all missed was Case Keenum was a really good fit for that offense because of the offensive line issue. They really needed somebody back there who could improvise the playoff schedule. Kirk Cousins' game, if you ask anybody who's coached him, you know, you go ask Jake Gruden, Sean McVay, whoever about this, his game is all about rhythm and playing on playing on schedule and timing and all that different stuff. If you've got the line issues that the Vikings had, that's almost impossible. And so I think over the next two years, so much of how he judged Kirk Cousins is going to be hung up on Rick Spielman, Mike Zimmer, that whole staff's ability to find a way to fix that offensive line. Good stuff. All right. Give me a quick one on this. First round pick you already love in February. Josh Allen, the linebacker from Kentucky. Um, I could easily say Nick Bosa. I'll resist the urge to do that. <laughs> Quinton Williams could be a really good player, too. I just think, you know, when you talk about where the NFL is going, and I think on both sides of the ball, there's sort of like this this trend to go positionless. I certainly think, and I know you love Derwin James, Kevin. Um uh, Derwin James fits in that. The guy I think that, that Josh Allen looks a little bit like to me is Tremaine Edmonds, who had a great rookie year in Buffalo. Um, a guy who, you know, he's coming into the league and not everybody's going to know what to do with him. He can play up. He can play down. Uh, the, the Kentucky coaches used him all over the place. Josh Allen's the guy that's really interesting to me because you can use him in so many different spots. Okay, Kevin? Uh, Josh Allen from Kentucky, I think he has the athleticism that you just need on a defense. I think a team at that top of the draft, depending on what Kingsbury is going to do, uh, I, I, I can see him maybe in San Francisco as a fit. I think that there's there's going to be a team, if Kemsko gets him, I'm going to just overhype San Francisco so much because I love what Shanahan has done on offense. He made Nick Mullins into a, you know, a mid-tier quarterback. So Josh Allen to San Francisco would really excite me. Yeah, I feel like we haven't done enough Nick Mullins content today. Maybe we'll do that in the next one. <laughs> Like I said, quarterback that may move. Okay, uh, three more here. Give me your dream triplets, and it's for one season. So that means one quarterback, one wide receiver, one running back for 2019. I will say Patrick Mahomes with Antonio Brown and his ability to just make cuts in the open field and get open and extend plays. And for running back, I would still probably choose Alvin Kamara in that spot. Wow, that's such a sneaky good one, Bert. Okay, so at quarterback, I'm going to go with Tom Brady because for one year, I still, like the things that he does at the end of the game, just, I mean, like we take it all for granted now, but it's borderline impossible what he's accomplished over his career. So Brady at quarterback, I'm going to take Saquon at running back. I, I sort of feel like, I don't know, like it's like, like Zeke and, and, and Todd Gurley and, and, and Le- Le'Veon Bell all fit this category. The new prototype running back in the NFL is a 230-pound guy who can play on all three downs. And that's what Saquon is really the model for. 
And so I think Saquon at running back because you can do so many different things with him. And then my, my receiver is DeAndre Hopkins, who has the ability to take over a game unlike any receiver in the NFL. And just, I, I feel like if you're going to have one guy you want to build around at that position, it's got to be somebody who can physically dominate and who you can throw two, three people at him and it won't matter. And that's who I feel like DeAndre Hopkins is. If I may drop a nugget, uh, Brett Veach told me that when he's scouting now for Mahomes, he's looking for an Antonio Brown type um, because he can extend those plays. So I think we might, if, if the Kansas City scouting program does their job, we might see an Antonio Brown type in Kansas City next year. Is that as easy as... Like an Antonio Brown type, like right. Antonio Brown himself? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. He didn't say that, uh, but you know, you never know. Wow, that's um. I had Mahomes, Hopkins, and, and Barkley. And the reason I went with Hopkins is that I don't feel like I have to deal with any of the stuff I have to deal with with the other top wide receivers. You know, yeah. Julio would be more about maybe ability to stay in the field. I just whenever I watch Hopkins, I know that he's not the athlete that Odell is, but I just what's that what's that term everybody loves catch radius? That dude is yeah. that dude is yep. Jupiter when it comes to catch radius. Okay, two more quick ones. Longer New England. Belichick or Brady? Uh, now we're going to refer to you on this. Okay, Belichick. Um, I, I know Belichick has said in the past that he's not going to coach into his 70s. I My sense has always been with him that, and I've never gotten the sense that he's supposed to be done. My sense is that he's still very happy with what he's, with what he's, with what he's doing for a living. He's challenged every day. And I also think he's got that place wired to a point where I'm not going to say it's turnkey, but he doesn't need to work as hard as he used to have to. And so I think Belichick's going to outlast Brady. And I do think Brady's got a few years left. Uh, Albert, when you said he had the place wired, I thought you were going to go in a different direction there. Oh. <laughs> um, but okay, so I think it's I think Belichick lasts longer, and here's why. I think that obviously the age thing is really important, and we've seen coaches go above age 70. We have not seen quarterbacks go above age 44, 45, whatever it is uh, Brady wants to get to. But I also think that, and then this is something we've talked about, Ryan, I think Belichick wants to see what he can do with a stopgap quarterback. I mean, I just think that, think think of the different things he could do. I mean, I remember the night that Jacoby Brissett started for them. He, he, he worked wonders there. Um, so I just think that he would like one season where he gets to just be the mad scientist. He couldn't necessarily be at the quarterback position because he has the best ever play of the game. And I do agree. If I could jump in, Ryan, I just say about that part. Like I think that Bill would very much like, to, and this isn't anything against Tom, but I think he would like to prove that he yep. could win one or at least contend with somebody who's not Tom. I think that was going to be Jimmy. If the one, if there's one thing you can say against Belichick, uh, of all he's accomplished over the last 19 years, is well, he got the best player of all time with the 199th pick. I think Jimmy was his way to sort of dispel that. I think one of the reasons he roots for Jimmy and trade Jimmy to a place where you know, he really respects the coach is because he feels like if Jimmy succeeds, that'll show that he's developed other quarterbacks. Um, and I think he would love to be able to transition New England into the next quarterback and show that what's happened the last 19 years wasn't all break. Do you guys have a question for each other to close us out? What do you got, Kevin? Anything you got? I, Albert, where are you going on vacation after this all gets done? Oh, yeah, well, I'm taking my kids to Disney World uh, in two weeks. My parents have a have a timeshare in Jupiter, and then we'll go into Orlando from there, which I know is your hometown, right? Wait, so, have you ever seen Belichick in Jupiter? I I have not run into Belichick. I've run into Parcells. I haven't run into Belichick there. I, uh, I've heard some stories about people running into Belichick at, like, the Palm Beach Publix. Wow. Uh, and he's just hanging out? Just like a normal yeah. guy? Yeah. I mean, you have to go to Publix if you're in Florida. So I don't, I'm not, I don't feel that that's weird. That's just where you go. It's like the town hall. Everyone goes to Publix. Yeah. <laughs> I got you. I got you. I don't know what you consider going to Disney World with your kids' vacation. That's debatable, right? Yeah, it's fine. It's stressful. Yeah. It'd be my first crack at it. So we'll see how it goes. Do you have anything for Kevin? Oh, God. I don't know if I have anything for you, Kevin. What are you doing with your time time off? I'm literally that? in Hilton Head, South Carolina, right now. Awesome. Are you playing golf? Uh, no, it's still, I, I try maybe tomorrow. I, I got to tell you, not cheap golf around here. It's not known for his golf. So do you know <laughs> someone down? Do you, do you know someone down there, or do you just decide to go there? No, my wife and I. We I mean, we were in Atlanta, so she came to me and then we drove three hours, and then 
Then I was going to get, uh, I was going to just totally turn off and then uh, Ryan was still asking to be on a podcast. Oh, I know. I know. I actually do really appreciate it. So that means uh, I'm going to say goodbye to Breer here because you've been on for a lot longer than I told you I was going to have you on. But that was really great, man. Thanks so much. All right. You got it, Ryan. See you, Kevin. Before we get to a little solo, Kevin Clark here on what to look for this offseason, I want to tell you about the friends of ours for the Dual Threat Podcast at Bespoke Post. When you're constantly on the go, there's not much time to think about upgrading your style or apartment. That's why you'll love getting a new box of awesome from Bespoke Post every month. Experience quality and unique products at boxofawesome.com. I have the travel kit. I've got this home ice cube thing. It's unbelievable. People are asking me about my ice cubes left and right. They're introducing me that way. Have you met Ryan Russillo? <laughs> Hey, he had a TV show for a long time. Now, it's like you're going to meet my friend Ryan. His Ice Cube situation is sick. To get started, visit boxofawesome.com and answer a few short questions that will help them get a feel for your style. Each box costs less than 50 bucks, but has more than $70 worth of unique gear waiting inside. The first of each month, you'll receive an email with your box details. You'll have five days to make changes. Or if you're not feeling that month's box, then simply skip it. From barrel aging kits to limited edition scars, weekender bags to classy dop kits, Bespoke Post offers essential goods and guidance for the modern man. To receive 20% off your first subscription box, that's 20% off, folks, 20% off the total price, go to boxofawesome.com and enter the code DUAL, D-U-A-L, at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, code DUAL, for 20% off your first box from Bespoke Post, themed boxes for guys that give a damn. And you can follow... Albert Breer and his friends do call him Bert at Albert Breer. That's B R E E R and his stuff at the MMQB. And it is at the MMQB he has a bunch of postseason notes there. And Kevin, I think that's kind of where I just want to finish up with you on the postseason stuff before we let you, uh, let you go. What did, what did the Super Bowl tell us about McVay and the Rams and who Goff is? Cause I think a lot of us have struggled with, wait a minute, was Goff as bad as he was with Fisher? Oh my gosh. Is he really like borderline MVP? And then after the fact, it's like, well, I think, did you have the tweet where you basically said McVay tries to see the field for golf and it was never more apparent than that Super Bowl? Just, it felt like stuff like that. But I, I just, I'm not a huge fan of the everybody make fun of McVay and McVay hires now after the fact because he didn't win against Belichick and the offense was held to three points. But I think there's a smart conversation about all of the things that we're talking about with the Rams, McVay, and who Goff is. Yeah, I mean, you also have to look at it that Wade Phillips did the same thing to to McVeigh that Bel to to, right. uh, to Josh McDaniels, excuse me, that uh, Belichick did to to McVeigh, and so it's not like the the Patriots won this game by forty points. So this is just those were two old men just destroying two young people. That, that that's what that was. That was old man strength from both teams, and so I think generally. I wouldn't panic. I mean, what I was concerned about is when you read the football guys after after this game, they were basically saying that McVeigh had nothing new. He had no new wrinkles. He was just going to do what he did. And Belichick, you just can't do that against Belichick. I mean, that was Belichick when he rolled out there and saw that McVeigh was just going to be McVeigh. His eyes probably lit up and said, "I can't believe they're going to do this." I mean, it's not dissimilar to Mike Martz eighteen years ago when. You know the stories you hear that basically the, the the Rams were saying, "Hey, we Mike, we have to change this up," and he was ignoring it. I'm not saying that that happened on Sunday night, but I'm saying that uh, if you don't come in with new wrinkles against Belichick, you see what happens. I don't think that this is any glaring indictment on McVeigh. There's only one Belichick, and you know he's going to age out, <laughs> and at some point you're going to be able to to you know be the best coach in the NFL uh, when that mantle opens up. If you're McVeigh and you keep growing, I think that from my perspective. I think this could be go one of two ways. It could be the end of McVeigh, which I don't necessarily see happening, or it could be the moment where he realizes he has to have, uh, you know, Plan B, Plan C, and Plan D in a game plan. He only grows as a coach. I, I would I would tend to think it's going to be more of that. Um, I think that you know I joked on Sunday night. This is this might be the, the you know Sunday night at two a.m. might be the lead anecdote in a you know gl- glowing. McVeigh profile in five years after he's won a second Super Bowl. You know, what was he doing in his hotel? What was he doing on the team flight? Uh, is he the type of coach who next year, if he plays Bill Belichick again, is not going to come with the same old crap? That was a really good answer. Um, I think that's really smart, right? It becomes the anecdote of like, what did you learn from that whole thing? And uh, I just, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to be one of those guys that that would sit there and go, okay, every, like there's part of me that wonders, do you ask the question to somebody like you? Be like, which is, which of the McVeigh, tree, not even tree hires ends up becoming 
painfully obvious that this was just an owner that bought into what everybody else was trying to do. And just because Belichick worked him in the Super Bowl, it doesn't mean that, I mean, the hires might be bad because they were bad before the Super Bowl, not bad after the fact, if that makes any sense. No, I, I completely agree. I mean, I think the, if, if the Rams had just won the Super Bowl by 40 points and Goff connected on 39 of his 41 throws, I would still think the Cliff Kingsbury hire was bad. Um, that's just sort of how I, I mean, I just think that you could have hired him as an offensive coordinator and brought in another guy to be the head coach and you don't have to fire or hire the fired Texas tech coach. I just, I still think that was just a strange off the board hire that I, I won't understand unless they have some grand plan. I don't, I, I haven't, I haven't imagined yet. Um, so again, I, I think that, you know, Zach Taylor might have exactly what they need. Um, you know, there, there was a buzz, um, that maybe they want to get more analytic oriented and maybe, uh, it's, it's more of an organizational thing that will then help Zach Taylor be a good coach in Cincinnati. So I just think that they're, um, you know, Mike McCarthy was not considered a good coordinator when he got hired. I remember everybody just joking about, you know, how did they get San Francisco's coordinator who I think had the, maybe a 32nd ranked offense in the NFL. So, um, I, I kind of think, the success of your head coach uh, has always been a little bit overrated. I think the success of, of even your unit has been overrated. I think that football and you know NFL coaching is more of an intangible thing than we think. And so it goes more towards who can be like McVeigh, the culture builder, instead of who can be McVeigh, the, the scheme lord. Because I think generally... When one when when these twenty nine year old thirty two thirty five year old guys whatever it is when they have their first sort of locker room problem are they going to be in their lab creating man coverage beaters or are they going to be able to actually address the problems head on that's going to be the big test in November and December uh, of of next year Kevin you sounded like you were hinting at something with Cincinnati and Dalton before so is that something that you're hearing something you think is a discussion like what do you no, think No I mean I, I mean more of does Zach Taylor want to try to, I mean, listen, do you want to try to build with Andy Dalton or do you want to get a guy in the first round? Um, I saw someone, you know, even speculating today that maybe Kyler Murray is the fit there. I have no idea. It was on one of those shows. I actually don't even know who it was, but I just saw it as I was kind of scrolling ESPN through. ESPN Hollywood? So I think, I'm sorry? I was wondering which show. I was taking a guess at which show, but it probably wasn't that one. So never mind. Go ahead. I know. I actually don't know. I'm sorry. Um, I was I was in vacation mode, um, so I was just going through. But I think that there's just when there's a clean break, it's like everything. You know, when there's a clean break and there's a new coaching staff, Marvin has had a you know he's run the organization for a decade and a half, and now they're going to evaluate Andy Dalton. Zach Taylor says he has a good relationship with Andy Dalton, but you know the contract wouldn't be that crazy to get rid of. And if they draft a guy, uh, it, it seems like a good time for a break. I, when I talked to Matt Hasselbeck a couple of weeks ago about this old quarterbacks thing, he said, you know, the number one thing no one realizes is that in order surviving as a quarterback is the most impossible thing because every time a new guy comes in they want to get rid of the old quarterback. Um, and that's, you know, he mentioned, you know, the fact that Eli Manning, that would have happened out of nine, nine out of 10 coaches would have gotten rid of Eli Manning last year, except they happened to hire Dave Gettleman, who is Mr. Giant. So um, I think surviving a regime change when you're not an elite quarterback is a harder thing than we imagine. Okay. Before we let you go, um, is there going to be any theme that you can feel now with this off season? Um, I think we've seen so many teams now stockpile cap space. And I always kind of find it, I'll just say annoying when the local reporter positions, the team he covers is like the team that's going to dominate free agency, totally ruling out. Like when 20 teams have this much cap space, cap space is not the same advantage. And maybe this is the year where there's a rising tide or maybe teams strike early or maybe teams, you know, New England's approach has always been wait forever. I think this is going to be one of the more, I'm not going to call it challenging, but I, it just feels like it's going to be harder to identify the good deal versus the bad deal with this many teams with cap space and an evolving game that, despite what we saw in the Super Bowl, is going to be about offense still. So is there a theme based on any of the stuff that I'm kind of thinking about or something I haven't even hit on yet that you feel like in talking with different teams is going to be part of the big storylines for the offseason? Uh, I, I can tell you right now, there's a couple of things. Number one, I do think the analytics thing is very, very, very real in this sense. 
you know, after I wrote that story uh, in December about analytics, I got a call, I got calls from about five GMs who were basically just like, we're going from zero to 100 on this. And these are teams that you would not necessarily think would be at the cutting edge of it because most teams who would, most teams who would read that and they wouldn't have to call me because they're already at 75 or 80 and not zero. Okay. And so it, these are, I think, the, the, the very, the teams that were very lacking analytics are not going to go way up on that. Okay. So I think that's real. I think you're going to start to see weird signings because it's based off of that. You know, the, the analogy, the, the example that some of the sources uh, I talked to for that story said, you know, if you're looking for a Leighton Vander Esch type, well, you can now just use the player track data to figure out exactly what a quote unquote downhill tackler is, which is about 17 to 18 miles per hour on tackles and just sign off that. So you're going to see a little bit of what like baseball had 15 years ago where it's like, wait, why are they signing this guy? Oh, it's because they found out this number works and this tracking data works and we're going to sign off of this. I've heard some crazy stuff as far as what what teams are honing in on. And so you might see some head-scratching signings because of that sort of thing. I also think aggression is going to be a big thing. I think that because, again, I think people are going to start to realize that free agency is a bit of a, a fool's gold in the sense that everybody has the cap space. That's what you said. It's rising $10 million a year. And so you're not going to get the values that you could. And so I think you're going to see a lot more trades. I think you're going to see guys in their third and fourth year getting dealt because teams would rather have a guy for three or four million, almost like kind of like what the Marcus Peters thing was, which is give up a pick, you get two years of a guy and you let him walk. And there's going to be a little more of that because there's younger GMs who are more aggressive. You're going to see probably a more interesting offseason than we normally get in the NFL. Awesome, man. Enjoy vacation for however long you actually get. I know there's, there's, I don't want to make that joke about no off season, but uh, really, <laughs> really appreciate all the time over the, the season for the podcast, man. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks to Kevin. Thanks to Burt Brewer. I got a little solo Atlanta Super Bowl experience story time for you. I have not checked with anyone ahead of time on these stories. I think we're going to be okay, though. It's not that big of a deal. Um, but I'm just going to do a little solo for you. Before we do that, though, it's a new year. Time to make new goals outside of false hopes to hit the gym. What do you mean false hopes? A lot of people are aiming to keep a cleaner home in 2019. That's true. I've actually, I just bought a new vacuum cleaner. But it's tough to stay on top of the spills and stains, not to mention cleaning up all the muck from last year. Thankfully, CLR can help you make your fresh start a little easier. CLR gets rid of the gross stuff from soap scum to toilet bowl stains. And here's the deal. If you're by yourself, guys, whatever your current situation is, it's not up to the standard. I can't even tell you how many times somebody's like, are you serious? And I thought I was a pretty clean guy. So I had to get myself some CLR. It dissolves calcium, line, and rust easily. And unlike those fools in the gym, you don't have to break a sweat. This is, again, I don't know who approved this read from me. It uses natural ingredients, not harsh chemicals. I'm clean. Is that a PED joke? Um, and it even carries the EPA's safer choice seal. With other cleaners, you'll scrub and scrub because they don't work the way CLR does. I love when Kyle just laughs hysterically throughout the entire... I'm not even sure this one's that funny. Use it in your bathtub, sink, coffee pot, dishwasher, all over the house, maybe even your hopsy deal. Uh, If you're looking to wipe the slate clean this year, go to clrbrands.com today or pick up a bottle from a retailer near you. CLR, making the world a little cleaner. I don't know. Whenever I say let's do 10 minutes, I do longer than that. Super Bowl. This is, as we went through it, we did all the memories from before. I don't know how people felt about that. People that know me and have been on those trips with me, they love. They absolutely love that segment. I got to admit, when I left the Ringer Studios that day, I go, was that even that interesting, just running through a story every time? I find the Master P thing terrific because I really wanted to go to the Dem Jeans party, and uh, there was no way, no way I was getting invited. So coming in this year, Atlanta's a little... It's actually not that tricky. Again, Indianapolis is the easiest, but Atlanta, you were in two spots. You were somewhere in Buckhead or you were downtown. And Atlanta's a big enough of a city that you can you can host a Super Bowl. It's kind of like when New York City had the Super Bowl. You didn't really notice. Nothing felt different because it's New York freaking city. So Atlanta had a little bit of that, but then you start getting into that Centennial Field and all of the stuff right around there. Wait a minute. Is it Centennial Field? Did I just go Burlington, Vermont on you? I think I did. I think it's Centennial Park. I stayed up in Buckhead, uh, and then I switched hotels to another place in Buckhead because I was solo, and I basically was just kind of going around. You know what I did? I used the Hotel Tonight app, and I found myself a place or a cheaper place in uh, in Buckhead. So first night, Carissa Thompson, Jay Glazer, those folks had a party, and 
you guys know I'm good friends with Carissa. So roll over there with a couple guys. And there wasn't really anything all that eventful from that. Oh, you know what we did do is somebody was like, what does everybody want to do? I was like, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't really, um, it was kind of one of those things where it was like two, three hours went by and I hadn't even had a drink because it was just sort of sitting there. Kyle has the strangest face on his <laughs> look on his face right now. And I just go, oh, that's, this is really like, I, it was so busy and you kept saying hi to everybody that I ended up not really even, I think I had one drink at the beginning and then I didn't. And that was two o'clock. So they were like, what do you guys want to do? And I was like, I'm, I'm up for anything. I can go to right to bed. I just flew in. I got in tonight, but I can go to bed or I can hang out if you guys want to do something. They're like, well, there's this local dive bar in Atlanta called the North Side Tavern. And we we're like, okay, but what's the deal? And he said, well, it's, uh, it's this dive bar and they play music late. They're open to like three or 4 a.m. I'm telling you right now, I want to franchise the Northside Tavern. I couldn't get enough. If every single night you said, hey, we've got tickets to Shaq's party or we can go to the Northside Tavern, I would say I'd, I'd rather go to the Northside Tavern. Those that know, know. And those that don't, not knocking you for it. What, you know, Maybe you've never even been in the area. But if you haven't been, and let's put it this way, if you're in Atlanta in business, on business, in business wouldn't make much sense. If you're on business in Atlanta, and you can swing by the Northside Tavern, you have to do it. I could have gone every single night. And I ended up there two of the three nights I was in Atlanta. Because that's my move. I was going in, out, real quick hitter style. Wasn't going to linger. If there was a party that felt like it was falling apart, I wasn't even going to bother showing up. I wasn't going to sit in line. I've done it all, folks. <laughs> I've done it all. Okay? And the Super Bowl party week can be a lot of fun. But it can also be terrible. All right, so that was the first night. Oh, by the way, how about TMZ? TMZ comes running up to one of the guys in our group who's an NFL player. It's last call as we're leaving this event on Wednesday at the Fairmont. The Uber driver that brought me there saw all the parked cars and was like, man, this is crazy. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens. He's like, you're here for the Super Bowl? I'm like, yep. Yeah. He, he basically was like really close to being like, do you mind if I just come in with you to the party. <laughs> like, yeah, that's actually going to bum me out a little bit. So uh, I will leave you a non five-star review. If you turn off your Uber app and decide to try to sneak into the party with me as you're going in. And I ended up going so late, not because I'm cool, just because I was late. Um, so TMZ comes running out and they've got two guys with the handheld cameras. And if you don't know how this has worked, like this is what they do is they run around, they look for celebrities. And if they're smart, they do wait until last call because they hope guys are just really fucked up. So <laughs> makes sense. nobody in the group was. And the guy comes up with a handheld camera, throws it on, puts it on in front of the, the players' faces. And he's like, hey, man. And the guy is like, hey. They're like, man, what's up with Goodell? <laughs> that was it. What a reach. Right. That was it. And. And the NFL guy's like, what? What, dude? He's like, yeah, Goodell, man. He's out of control, huh? And I'm watching the whole thing go down. And, like, I get the TMZ part of this. Like, their part is hoping the guy's had about seven sarsaparillas and is like, yeah, man, Goodell, he's out of control. And there you go. Boom. Tweet it out. You've got something for the website. Maybe even have something for the TV show. <laughs> I'm serious, man. Um, I... So I'm watching, and then the other TMZ guy comes up to me, and he's like, oh, my God. I'm like, yeah, oh, my God, <laughs> seems like a lot. And uh, I just met Van Lathan, by the way, from TMZ. I met him at a party uh, up in Beverly Hills, and he was awesome. Guy's he's a great. Baton Rouge guy. I didn't even know that. So we, we actually really hit it off. Um, and then... Carissa Thompson, who was with me at the party in Beverly Hills, she's like, that's a really good contact for you. And I was like, why? What do you, what do you, what do you mean? Like, I just, I liked him. I was like, I don't think I'm going to be on the show anytime soon. I hope not. Yeah, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> well played, Kyle. So then the guy goes, oh, he goes, oh my God. And I'm like, all right, what's up? He goes, I'm a huge fan. He's like, I watch you all the time. And he's kind of getting his camera ready. Mm. So I'm like, oh, here we go. He's going to ask me a question. And he looks at me, and he's like, you're Ravel, right? <laughs> oh, no. I go, I'm not. I'm not Darren Ravel. And some of the other guys overheard it, and they were like, dude, that's the worst. Like that guy. And again, 
for those that don't know, Darren Ravel's younger than me. And I think he just thought R, he recognized me, he didn't know. So that TMZ did not get very good content out of us that night. What else am I leaving out? So yeah, we went over there, we checked it out. It was like watching the Almond Brothers when they were young, warm up at the Northside Tavern, 20-minute songs. It was absolutely incredible and just had the best time. Thursday, Thursday, I get a DM from Clay Cook from the Zach Brown Band. He was like, hey, we're playing a couple shows. We're not sure what's going on or when it's happening. So keep me posted. And I didn't get back to him in time. Oh, the Tabernacle. So I didn't get back to him saying, hey, you know what? I've got some, I've got a little free time before the EA Spark, EA Sports Party. EA Sports has been nothing but great over the years. And the problem is we had too many people with us in the EA Sports Party. I sent in another thing to be like, hey, are we going to be able to pull this off? And the guy from EA Sports was like, absolutely not. <laughs> and apparently it was just a line a million long. And then if you're in the video game and you played in the NFL and EA Sports isn't letting you in because you never RSVP'd anything or your publicist never got you an invite or your agent can't come through, then EA Sports is like, hey, dude, it's hard for us to just let in 1,500 guys, even though you're the backup punter on the Rams. Although if the backup hunter for the Rams, although the backup hunter for the Rams probably could go get hammered all single every night, but I, I doubt there's a backup hunter on the depth chart for the Rams. So I went over to the tabernacle, walk in, and I had not seen the Zach. Oh, you know what? Well, that's a lie. I saw the Zach Brown band play in Atlanta, I think, for a Final Four thing, but it was not the main event. Dave Matthews. Um, we saw Dave Matthews play, and then somebody from the Zach Brown band came over to us, and they were like, why don't you guys hang out backstage? We listen to you guys on the radio all the time because I think I was there with Van Pelt. And they were like, I don't know. I think we're going to hang out and watch Dave a little bit more. Hack up your skirt a little more. So I went into Zach Brown's solo and they went into about a 20-minute whipping post that was incredible. Then Dave Grohl showed up and Dave Grohl sang with them, Enter Sandman, and then they did Sabotage by the Beastie Boys. I'm telling you right now, if you don't like country, and you go, I don't want to, I don't know, Zach Brown did. Not into that. That show is a completely different show. And I like some country. Dirk Bentley and Johnny Cash. That's about it. No Alan Jackson, huh? All right. Mm, no. <laughs> I don't, like, seriously, I'm not. I respect it. How about that? Yeah, I respect it. Good enough. But, like, the lyric, the, I was down, I think it was in the tabernacle waiting for them to come on. So they're playing country music and that lyric that's like, beer is good. God is great beat and people look crazy it's like what did you when you wrote that did you go fucking write this is kim and kill who who can you google that right now i just i listen to it and go i kind of respect the person that wrote it because it works but i don't know i'm trying to go a little deeper than that so go to uh, see clay cook in zach brown band totally blown away can't recommend it enough just fun for the entire family. He's not responding to DMs because he's in the freaking band. I don't have a cell phone number. I was like, I can probably talk my way backstage here a little bit. A couple hammer dudes from Traeger Grill started just, they were really, really friendly. One guy was, one guy was a little hammered. That's all right, though. He's having a good time in Atlanta. He probably didn't have to work in the morning. And I was like, hey, guys, look, I, I love talking. I love hanging out. And then I think they get a little pissed at me. It's like, I can't keep, I got to try to get backstage here. And if I don't do this right now, then it's going to totally, the window's going to close. The guys are really nice. They go, hey, we're going to walk you in the back. But they brought me outside where all the guys from security in the stage were ripping white darts. Mm. And the backstage thing was somewhere else. So I sat outside for like 15 minutes. I go, hey, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to run into them another time here. I'm not going to spend the whole night out here. So then I tee up, uh, what's the plan? Text with a couple guys. We're headed to the EA Sports Party. Five minutes later, they're like, this is out of control. They're like, what are you doing? I said, well, some of the girls said they want to meet up at Hooters, and they're not kidding. So I got us a table at Hooters on a Thursday night, and I switched it to the Warriors game uh, against the Sixers. And because the girls were running a little late, but I'm going to give them credit here. They told me they'd be there within a certain window and they were there within that half hour window because they were coming from somebody else. And this is how Super Bowl nights work is that everybody's trying to chase everybody around. Everybody's trying to figure out the best party. Is this the best? And usually the biggest like blowout crazy parties are the worst to go to with your friends. So they were like, why don't we just do this? They were at some event. Other people are at an event. And I go, well, I'm leaving Zach Brown solo 
walking around here and it's still only 10 o'clock. There's a couple NBA games I could get my eyes on. And they go, well, Hooters right in town. And you guys know it that know Atlanta. It's right there. It's right next to the Indigo. And I go in, I go, I need a table for like five or six, but I'm going to be by myself for a little while. And then like four girls come in and sequin dresses oh. to Hooters. And now the whole room has changed. Yeah. <laughs> and then some of the guys, like, because they were like, who is that loser like sitting there by himself? Like, oh, maybe he's not a loser. <laughs> some of the guys come by. Thursday was a very, very early night, though, because nobody was really feeling it. Saving it up for Friday. Friday, go to the bar stool, rough and rowdy thing. I know some people that don't like Barstool. Here's the deal. There's a couple guys that work there that have been nothing but great to me for my entire career. And I like those guys. And I think, you know, Big Cat, PFT, and, and I know even though Portnoy drives some of you guys nuts, he's always been nice to me. So they invited Stanford Steve and I. Stanford Steve and I wanted to definitely spend some time together uh, with everything that he's gone through. Shout out to my man, Steve. No Van Pelt sighting whatsoever. I think he went to bed. There was a rumor he went to bed at nine o'clock on Friday night in Atlanta. And you know what? That's a vet of the biz. He understands he's going to have that Van Pelt polish going 100% when you're talking to the when you're talking to high-end brands, okay? You know what? Because Van Pelt's not sitting there doing a used car deal. He's doing a new car deal. That's what Van Pelt's doing. He's doing new cars, he's doing private jets. He's a Mercedes-Benz wheels-up guy. And that guy, you know what that guy does? He goes to bed a little bit earlier than the rest of that Super Bowl, you know, parade. So Van Pelt there wasn't even a text of like let's meet up. He didn't even bother he didn't even send the FOMO, what are you guys up to? Because he didn't care. Because he was there do, He was there doing deals with big name brands, Mercedes-Benz, and Wheels Up. So, we go to Rough and Rowdy, and it's funny. I mean, the fighting is so... Like, I don't even know how you would faint, because no one would fall for your faints. Like, nobody... I don't know, man. It's just, I have so much respect for the guys that get in there and beat the hell out of each other, but it's a free-for-all. Like, there's no strategy. <laughs> like, if you're a really good boxer, I don't even know how well you would do because you'd be so annoyed that the guy was nonstop swinging punches. I mean, look, if you're a really good boxer, here's what would happen. You would win the fight. Yeah. But the first minute or so, you'd be like, this is really, really annoying. Uh, not a great setup for your guy. If there's other girls, I asked one of the guys, I said, if you're going to invite me to these parties, can you invite less hot 20-year-old quarterbacks? Because I think half of the AFC starting quarterbacks were in the private area. <laughs> Shout out to Luke Rockhold, who was there as well. Got to say hi to one of my favorite fighters ever. And then... It turns into a Stanford Steve Rosillo. We got Carissa Thompson. We got Sarah Walsh. We got a girl named Jen, another girl named Liz. And I said, you know what we need to do? We need to find like a pub right around this area. And it's right around the ballpark in Atlanta. So the new ballpark, not, not downtown. So what we need to do is we need to find a place where we can all go and grab a beer and everything's cool. And we'll be, you know, the shack party's going off right next door to us. And maybe we'll try the shack party a little bit later, but let's spend some time where we actually get to talk to each other and everybody catches up, okay? So that was the plan. And Chris already put this on Instagram, so I don't feel like I'm telling anything out of, out of turn here because nothing, you know what I mean? Like, all right, so hang out, really great time. Shout out to Terrapins, the bar right next to the entrance to the field. Those guys were incredible in there. Also, uh, also a shout out to the gang at Ruth Chris at uh, the Buckhead location right next to the Intercontinental. Hotel, those guys are really cool. So we decide, because this is what happens, is that even though you don't want to go to the shack party and you don't have invites, it then becomes the, can I get into the shack party? You know, can I get in? Like, I don't know. Like, who goes? And my thing was like, Carissa, you take point here, okay? You take point. The rest of us, not sure. So she actually says about, I don't know which podcast that's really successful she was talking about. But she asked, I think we were about eight deep or so, and she asks to the door guy, hey, can we come in? And at first, it's kind of like a no. And she should have just said, hey, I'm Carissa Fox NFL. I'm doing the actual post game for NFL Network on the field for this game. Yeah, <laughs> Sunday, little game called the Super Bowl. <laughs> kind of a big deal. And she's stunning. So, you know, the girls all look great. So you would have thought that all of them were fine and good to go. And the door guy's like, hey, I'm from Boston. I haven't let it and we're like, oh no, a 617 door guy. This is a problem. And I don't even, I honestly, I'm telling you, I, and this is my friends make fun of me. Like, oh, you're Mr. I'm too cool. I don't even want to go. I didn't want to go because all I want to do is go back to the North Side Tavern. So to finish this whole thing, the whole gang is sort of at the door area. There's a line of people that have already been rejected. Our group is currently in the process of getting rejected. And the door guy says, hey, look, I'm sorry. Podcasts, like who cares? 
And she should not have opened with, there's guys from podcasts here. And the door guy actually said, whatever. He's like, Alshon Jeffrey was just here and I turned him away. And PFT, without any hesitation, goes, well, of course you should. The ball that he dropped led to the pick that sealed their loss. <laughs> it was auto. It was so fast. <laughs> and I went, I like just sat there. was like, there was no, do you write these down and just walk around life with these things? He's like, yeah, of course you shouldn't let him in. And he's like, if it wasn't for the tip all that led to the pick, maybe Philly's playing this weekend. So, um, guess what? We all got into a big SUV and we all went to the Northside Tavern Boom. and we watched an amazing blues band play into the wee hours. And I got on a plane immediately the next morning and went to Nashville and a two-year-old girl made me sick. Because on Saturday night, it was like, hey, are we going to do this Nashville thing? And good friend of the show, Matt Bushman said, no. He goes, do you feel like babysitting? <laughs> I go, you know what? I kind of do feel like babysitting. So we sat in, ate some Shake Shack, mm. watched LeBron not play and babysat. And one of the kids has a fever. So that's why I sound like I started smoking this week. Okay, subscribe to Dual Threat. I have a huge NBA trade deadline thing that I'm doing with Bill Simmons. It'll be on the, you may have heard of it, Bill Simmons podcast. So thanks to everybody for an awesome football season. We still have the backup uh, quarterback thing that we're working on there and we'll figure out the rest. Have a great week.